Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. We uh, find ourselves back at uh, Healthy Land and Water, Bradley. Yeah, very excited. And we're joined by a, a wonderful guest. How do you pronounce your last name, Rachel? Oh, that's Nasplez. 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 Very simple. Nasplez. Looks difficult, but it's it simple. It does. And I'm dyslexic, so <laughs> I, I, I used to say Rachel Nasplez, but that's just yeah. me. Well, phonetically, it looks Nasplezes. Nasplezes is, the, is the usual pronunciation. <laughs> that's, that's mine. <laughs> I apologise every it time I've referred to you. <laughs> yeah, my husband's French. Okay. Ah. Where about, where about is he from? He's Parisian, so born, born and bred and raised in Paris. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then went to South Africa when he was 18 and that's where we met. Oh, whereabouts oh. in South Africa? Uh, we were in based in Mpumalanga, so up in Nelsprite. Worked in Kruger National Park for yep. about five years. Wow. Yeah, it was great. I, um, my godfather lives in Joburg and uh, mm. when my lovely grandmother died about five years ago, I took off on a two-month mission through South Africa and went, went up through Botswana and Zimbabwe and uh, camped out in the Okavango Delta. Oh, and beautiful. Then uh, basically hitchhiked from just south of Durban on the Trans Sky and uh, pretty much went all the way, the Garden Road, all the way down the bottom of Africa and up to Cape Town and fell in love with Cape Town for a couple of weeks. So, Yeah, beautiful. We had, a, we had a beautiful experience. We were really lucky, I think. You know, we were based in the bush. I just finished a, a degree in conservation. I was a wildlife biologist. We did a lot of work with uh, tuberculosis in Buffalo. My husband was a game ranger and training game guards, so sort of paramilitary type work. And wow. It was it was amazing. The people of South Africa are amazing, amazing people. They so. are. Mm. They are. Have you ever been, Brett? Not to South Africa. The Not with that haircut, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Get run out of town, yeah, Brett. Yeah, they that. worship me like a god. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a goat. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway, so we find ourselves back here. And so, Rachel, tell us a bit about yourself. So, yeah, we came back to Australia. My husband joined the Defence Force. And I continued work in the community space, really. I think in South Africa, I was very conservation focused until I started to understand the nexus between conservation and community and how important that was. And so I really changed my academic focus from purely conservation, so wildlife biologist by trade, to uh, social ecology and understanding, you know, what is the role of humans in the conservation cycle and system. Uh, so we came back to Australia and um, I 
jumped into natural resource management, community engagement for a couple of years in what was at the time Harvey Bay City Council, so local government. Uh, and uh, that was beautiful, beautiful part of the world, uh, as, as people probably know, lots of ecotourism opportunities and worked very closely with the community there and then went to Bundaberg where my family Bundy. was. Bundy. Yeah, so my husband went off to the army and he was essentially gone for six years, really. Wow. That's not a sad story. He came back. Oh, he did come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, no, not good. a sad story. No, he came back we had a couple of kids I worked for the Natural Resource Management Group up there and Wetland Care Australia, who's a not-for-profit national NGO. I did a lot of work around catchment management, worked under the reef rescue programs, working with landholders. At the time, we were integrating treatment trains into agricultural systems. Cool. So so let's dive into that. So we're specifically talking about agricultural runoff into the reef. Yep. Is that okay? Yep, and what type right. of measures are you putting in place? Because um, our friends at... AWC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Australian yeah. Wetlands oh, yeah. Mark. Yeah, yeah, Mark Bailey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Those McCann. boys have been doing a bit of stuff up there yeah. and, and um, digging trenches and putting yeah, carbon and doing a few things. Yeah, worked with Mark. Yeah, yeah cool. did a bit of Did a bit of work with Mark and Ian Layden. Ian Layden and, and Mark were sort of the gurus at the time, mm. actually. So Ian was doing uh, wetlands in farm systems. Yeah. And it just released the, you know, the first guide uh, around that. So, yeah, I think we were we were sort of, you know, finding our way for the first time in talking to, to landholders and farmers about, you know, what are the values of wetlands in agricultural systems mm. and how can we utilise those to treat tailwater, essentially, before it goes down into the reef. Because fundamentally, all those low-lying areas uh, upstream of the ocean were wetland areas, like uh, up and down the coast of Australia. So all runoff from our external catchments flowing into our waterways and oceans ran through a wetland and it's just only through agricultural practices you know drainage clearing etc that have meant those wetlands often don't exist anymore and water flow runoff uh, and associated pollutant loads go straight into our oceans now how do we find the reaction from the farmers that might that would have been and well that's probably a whole podcast here but yeah were they receptive uh, or is that just a silly question I w- yeah, it, it was really interesting actually. I think the human aspect uh, was the most interesting because wetlands had got such a bad rap and, and really had such a – I mean, they had an image problem, right? Well, let's face it, they were called swamps. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, so it was very difficult uh, initially to try and change that perception that, you know, these, these places are more than swamps and, mm. you know, they've got values beyond what – we might have historically considered their values to be. So, you know, we worked with already engaged landholders, but, you know, the uh, industry advocacy groups had um, a lot to do with the success of that program. So Ag Force, you know, cane growers, they were really involved in that program and, and really supportive and got behind it 100%. So we had some fantastic landholders come on board, uh, you know, really sort of forward thinkers and wanted to embrace wetlands for their ability, you know, to, to clean water essentially. And, and so what sort of successes did you have? Oh, look, what what happened in Reef Rescue was the implementation of the ABCD framework. So if people don't know what it is, uh, essentially it's a stewardship framework for industry to try and promote best practice. And so that was rolled out through the whole of the Reef 
region and I was a part of that for a couple of years. At the time, the Queensland government was not measure, or the federal government actually, because they were involved in that, weren't measuring the nutrient or sediment load reductions. So I couldn't tell you what the load reductions Mm. were. But in terms of engagement, it was highly successful. I think we had about 42 regional wetlands that we managed to to reconvert and protect through that program. Reconvert back into wetlands. Yeah, back into natural wetland systems. Previously they were just... Drainage channels. Just sort of drainage channels wow. and swamps, yeah. And who funded that? That was federal and state government funded. Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. And, and is that – obviously that's before they got that massive chunk of money for the reef. Um, yeah, this was in the very initial stages of, of the reef rescue program. Okay. I don't know what it's called now, to be honest. It's called $800 million, I think. Yeah, the yeah. Reef 2050 – it was – Prior to the Reef 2050 plan, yeah. What's your opinion on where we're at now with the reef? And, and so you've been out of that for a long time. I have been out of that for a long so time. So give us your one-on-one. Are they, are they killing it? Are they not killing it? You know, I, my parents still live on, at Elliot Heads on the coast, so just on the, on the southern edge of the reef. Look, the reef's obviously in trouble. Yeah. I don't think um, we've had many successes <laughs> in terms of That's the strategy no. for the reef. Yeah. So. I had a, I had a, I was up at the Storm of Queensland conference in uh, a couple of months ago up in Cairns, yeah, and there was a couple of really good speakers. Uh, Charlie Vernon, who I think is considered like the godfather of reef protection, and uh, I think it was Dr. Frederick Broom, I believe, uh-huh. um, who's a sort of a, a, a well recognised academic up uh, up north in Queensland, and she was. They painted a pretty depressing story of the reef, and I was waiting for the whole. Rally, crowd, you know, cried, but we're going to change it. And it was just like it didn't happen. Oh. And when I walked back on, that was depressing. Like obviously all these individuals, like there was a, a Storm of Queensland and International Erosion Sediment Control uh, Association members, and we're all in a position to, I guess, drive change, make change and et cetera. But gee whiz, we all walked away pretty depressed. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel there's, there's a real apathy, you know. Yeah. It's sort of uh, – Perhaps even people have given up a bit and thought like... Yeah, well, environmental depression. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is I something we... I think people in our field for sure. Yeah, yeah, and this is something we talked about with Laura Wells about, you know, environmental depression and basically said there's no, there's no value in individuals uh, being depressed about environmental issues. Like we are the, the heroes we've been waiting for. If we get depressed and don't do anything, it, we're all even worse off than otherwise. So let's just pull up our socks, um, put a smile on our face and, and just charge forward and do good. Post uh, Harvey Bay and Bundaberg, you've been very, very heavily involved in sort of various litter management uh, and education initi- initiatives, haven't you? Yes, yeah, I have. For um, Since about 2011, since I came to Healthy Land and Water, uh, I, I took on, you know, really started to, to take championship of litter education our cleanup program, which had already been going for almost a decade then. Wow. It's interesting what you were just saying about environmental depression and, you know, the messages and the communications that we use around litter particularly. Mm. I guess, you know, our business as usual approach in 2011 was very much litter's bad, you know, look at the damage litter's doing, lots of photos of turtles in distress and, you know, seabirds with plastic around their heads and that was that was really our go-to strategy around comms and promoting of the issue. Doesn't it, work though, does it? No, well... In We've a, found in this about, out the hard way. Yeah, in t- I think around about 2013 um, we started investigating this approach called community-based social marketing 
that was developed by Doug Mackenzie Moore, who's an academic in Canada, and he's a social psychologist. So really based around a human behaviour psychology of, of, you know, why people behave in certain ways and that's based on what they value about mm. life. And community-based social marketing, the principles, I guess, of, of CBSM, I'll call it CBSM, uh, are all around promoting the good stuff. You know, so it's about encouraging a behaviour, understanding what the barrier is to that behaviour, understanding why people, A, are, are undertaking the behaviour that you don't want to encourage and, B, what's the barrier to them undertaking the behaviour that you do want to encourage. Yeah. And so it's about enabling a behaviour and understanding what, what that behaviour is based on. So a lot of that was around, okay, what do people value about waterways? Mm. What do they not like about litter? What's, what is the barrier here to this behaviour that we're seeking? And let's build a campaign around that. And there's no way that, that you would use uh, negative, you know, images, marketing or connotations around, around those type of behaviours. So That's it was a real shift. Yeah. We knew at the time that single-use plastic bottles were the number one item that we were pulling out of the waterways that mm. we were monitoring. And that sort of makes sense, you know, they lend themselves to ending up in waterways. Yep. So what we found, we did literature reviews, we got some students from UQ to help us out. We also went and did observational surveys, so understanding, you know, what's going on here? Why are people buying water bottles, yeah. paying a fortune and not accessing the public free water that we have available? When was this, sorry? 2014. Yep. Okay. So what we found were access and affordability uh, and convenience were the drivers. Yep. And at the time, it was just on the back of the millennial drought. So a lot of those public water fountains had been taken offline. And there was also a behaviour, I guess, within the community of water conservation. People had, you know, behaved in such a way for such a long time. Oh, I can't, you know, go and get a drink at my public water fountain because that's been taken offline because of the drought. And so they got into this habit of buying water. When you say fountain, do you mean like a little bubbler? I mean like, a bubbler. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So they turned that off. A lot of them were taken offline wow. during 2014, the drought. 2014, so what, what we do is we get rid of rainwater tanks up here in Queensland and we get rid of public water. Yeah. But there's often a case of decisions are made based on poor science or just no data. People are going, oh, we've got to save water, let's take away the public water fountains. That's ridiculous. You know, oh, oh rainwater tanks, oh, no, they're just uh, – they're expensive, they're a waste of time. Based on what? That's total rubbish. Decisions are being made, you know, There's, it's not based on human behaviour, is it? Yeah. Because, you know, you have this behaviour that you want to enable and continue. So during the millennial drought, we had some really good water conservation behaviours. Yeah, fantastic. So um, we went from uh, using about, was it 280 litres per person today, down to about 136 litres per person today. So essentially equivalent. We ha essentially had the equivalent of doubling our water supply capacity with a very, very small amount of expenditure associated with public education. You talk about the billions of dollars that would be required to be spent to double our water supply infrastructure in southeast mm. Queensland. It's, it's, a, it's nothing. Yeah. The, the, the money spent on education in relative to the benefits provided. Yeah, so if we, you take a point in time and say, okay, 2014, the community have these behaviours that are based on decisions that were made years mm. previous. Those behaviours are, are still showing themselves. And, you know, public water fountains, I guess because maintenance of public water fountains hadn't been a high priority, they were dirty, yep. you know, people don't want to put their face in yep. leaves or cigarette yep. butts. or So 
design of public water fountains came up as an issue as yeah. well. A lot of the public water fountains at the time were out of date. They didn't enable water bottles to be filled, yep. you know. We'd all be familiar with like trying to suck a bit of water yep. out of a water fountain yep. that just dribbles yep. water. The committee decided the approach – actually, you do – CBSM, you do a bit of a um, – you sit down together, you get a lot of experts in a room, you take the literature reviews, you take the observational surveys, you sort of take this body of knowledge that you have and you uh, score and scale the strategies that you want to utilise. The number one most effective strategy that we could have in implemented was a container deposit scheme. But at the time, there was little political support yep. for that in the yep. room. Yep particularly in South East Queensland. Now it's come, come into effect, which is fantastic. Yep. Uh, but at the time, we didn't go with that. So the second one was to encourage this very simple behaviour, which was for people to fill a reusable water bottle with tap water. That was it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So the CBSM approach really nails the behaviour down to its simplest, most non-divisive uh, outcome. Yeah. Take your reusable bottle with you, fill it with water. So obviously we've got an issue because there's not a lot of public water around. Yeah. So the committee came up as part of that strategy would be, okay, let's design and develop uh, water refill stations. And so Healthy Land and Water, Healthy Waterways at the time sort of shifted that off to a social enterprise sort of focus uh, and we've been trying to deliver that for the, for the past five or six years. What are we? 2019, five years. I could speak from experience here because obviously I do a lot of riding and running around the Brisbane River and you mentioned how you do the, the litter cleanups and you pick up predominantly plastic single-use water bottles out of the Brisbane River. But as a person who um, has run around the Brisbane River and ridden, it used to be really, really difficult to actually find a suitable water fountain. Like you said, they're often really poor condition or just not there. Uh, and so you, often you are forced, if you don't have a 
if you haven't filled up the water bottle just at home or you, you run out of water, you're actually often forced to go into a service station or a convenience store to buy single-use plastic water bottles just to fill up your own water bottle, which is crazy. Now, years gone, years gone past, I know that a the, there's far more available uh, public uh, water fountains, which are typically in far better condition than they used to be. And secondly, I see a lot of these healthy water, healthy land and water refill stations. So they're fantastic, essentially. And they, they you can do the, I think it's a uh, still, or they basically it's chilled water provided at no charge. Mm. And you just, it's so easy to use, very well, attractive, is it streamlined. Chilled? Yeah. Oh, yeah, some of them are chilled. Yeah, oh, that's free, free public water. Yeah, and you guys gold. have a little uh, have an app. Yeah, there's that, a little yeah, there's an app with yeah. a map. So yeah, you fantastic. can see what you yeah. see how much water's been used. Yeah, well, and see where they are. And it wasn't just us. Uh, you know, Healthy Land and Water decided. Yep, we're going to go off on this tangent and and develop a social enterprise. But all of those players in the room decided that they would do something similar and so there was a real impetus to reinvigorate access to public water and to ensure that if people have a water bottle they can refill the bloody yeah. thing yeah. you know well look at us today i mean mm. i mean it's been a few years now well, probably three years since i've had a constantly had a water bottle even when we travel now in airports there are you look at the virgin lounge now uh, where i've spent a hell of a lot of my time in the last few days there's refill stations everywhere because obviously they can reduce the amount of plastic yeah. they're using so it's, it's an amazing initiative but it is a switch i remember when i was gee first had my license so 20 years 25 years ago that was part of it. You go to the petrol station, you put five bucks worth of gas in because that used to be a hell of a lot of gas back then. <laughs> and, you, and you'd buy a pump and some chewing gum, you yeah. know, a pump bottle. I yeah. mean, Coca-Cola own pump, is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 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 So, like, they were like, pump was the first real, you yeah. know, it was almost... Foray. It was always almost cool to have a, you know, you got some yeah. water, wasn't it? And now you almost feel a bit ostracised. If, if I see someone with a single-use plastic water bottle, I'm like... Pfft. Oh, mate, we take photos of people. We take photos of people like in the office. Ball. If you come in with a, a coffee cup that's not reusable, we take a f- name and shame. Yeah. Boom. You're shame. But you know. like, like, any, like, like, like with any solution to get good traction, it needs to be simple and convenient. Yeah. It can't be about, to be honest, it can't be about naming and shaming. As, as effective as that sometimes can be in an office environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People do want to, people generally want to do the right thing, but it needs to be really simple and really convenient. Well, I'll tell you something. The other day on the plane, I was coming back from somewhere. And I had my water bottle. I said, oh, can, uh, can I get a, a, a refill? And I was having to be sitting up the front of the bus, I don't know how. And I could see the lady behind the thing taking her from one passenger <laughs> to filling up my thing. I'm like, oh, but They goodness. do that in the plane as well. Like on air, airlines, they do that as well. Mate, yeah. yesterday, this is how crap I felt flying down um, to Canberra. I jump on this Qantas Link plane. First thing they give me was a single-use little, like I mean the little, little, yeah, the little, like, little, little, little babies. And I just went, oh, I can't do this. I'm, I'm so parched and dry. <laughs> but I was like, well, what do you do? And at that point there, you got to go, well, landfill, human, you Need. know, dry, you know, and what, what do you do? So you, you've got to take it. Yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah. convenience, need. Anyway, moving so, on So that's from been that. effective. But in terms of the, the data, I guess you can actually quantify how much eff- uh, essentially benefit you have provided to essentially the, the South East Queensland How many public. cups have you stopped? How much water We can, we can. Well, look, our program, we service four waterways in South East Queensland. So they're big waterways, so the Brisbane River and tributaries, some of the tributaries of the Brisbane River, so Norman and Breakfast Creek predominantly, the Logan River, the Bremer River, the natural waterways of the 
the Gold Coast and actually the, the program's just expanded to include the Caboolture River. So Moreton Bay has just come on board as a partner. And so when you say program, you, you're actually, this is your clean-up initiative? Yeah, so this is a couple of guys in a tinny and they're on the river. So Paul's gone back to the, uh, on the boat. <laughs> Paul's gone back. He does for yeah. six months. That's Couldn't what stop him. Oh, no, that's what Andrew said. For six months now he's got nothing to do. Yeah. The, the podcast was him signing off. So now he's out in the boat. He's out in the boat. So um, two guys in a boat, in a tinny. Going around the yeah, this is a multi generational program. So we've got Jim Hines, who currently runs the program, but his dad initially started the program in Brisbane on the Brisbane River. So Brisbane City Council was the first member on board um, to start to invest in that service. So Jim's father started it. Uh, now Jim runs it, and his uh, son Patrick is taking it over. Essentially, so Jim's what do handing they it on. Physically, do they're in a tinny? They're in a tinny. They've got some nets. Right. So they pick up floating litter. Yeah. And they also pick up bank bound litter. So predominantly from main Yeah, roads. I've seen them on TV, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, yeah, they do a lot of TV. And how much do they pull out? Look, uh, the program is on, has only been funded part-time for the last five to six years. Mm. So out of the Brisbane, it's about 10 tonnes a year. But, you know, really, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Because we're li- that's just – at the moment the program's part-time so they can only focus on the hotspot areas that we know. Mm. So they're not driving around looking for yep. floating litter. They're going, yep, we know there's going to be litter here. We're going to get it a couple of days a week. It's the same in uh, Sydney Harbour, RMS. The roads and maritime are one of the biggest contributors. The roads, the road networks around Australia are the biggest contributors to stormwater pollutants running off, and in particular litter, heavy metals and whatever. So what do you think they do down in Sydney? They've got a range of boats – that go out periodically during the week, part-time, and they go out to the hot spots, so depending on wind directions, <coughs> um, currents, etc. and that's exactly what they do. Yeah. But why do they do that down in Sydney? Because I think they feel bad because they know how much bloody pollution is coming off. Well, I wonder so, that, so it's a visual thing yeah, for people. exactly. And it's, uh, hey, look, don't get me wrong, you know, anything's better than nothing, but again, from our research, from the international research, you know, over... 99% of plastic pollution actually sinks. And, you know, that's a massive amount. I mean, that, as you just said before, it's the tip of the iceberg. So, you know... I, and it's end, mm. of, it's end of pipe, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mop, it's an end of pipe solution. Mop and yeah. bucket. Yeah. yeah, so waste. if you look at the waste management hierarchy, which we often talk about, the, the clean-up is the lowest of the low, the, yeah. the most expensive, least effective. But, yeah, it's, it's still better than nothing, but if we can reduce uh, uh, pollution... Well, so beach clean-ups is... is same thing. Same thing, yeah. And, and you, God, this is this is what annoys me. Pro- like, I think beach cleanups are fantastic uh, for me. A, they're obviously removing pollution, but B, they get people engaged and they actually feel empowered and they make the connection. They go, well, they, they pick up all these, for example, cigarette butts. Cigarette butts are the most common thing they pick up at, at um, beach cleanups. And they think, where do they come from? They can't all be from people smoking at the beach. As we know, a, a very large proportion of the um, pollutant loads that are entering our waterways are from stormwater runoff. But getting back to this uh, clean-up initiative of Healthy Land and Water, so you mentioned you're, you're pulling out a 10 tonne a year out of Brisbane River. Like, What are the key pollutants that you are pulling out? So the biggest items are still single-use plastic bottles. Uh, a lot of them are water bottles. But that's remained fairly consistent over the last seven years, even though we've had some mm. population 
inputs into into Brisbane. Also, plastic packaging is, is comes very close to single-use plastic bottles. So, you know, chip packets, McDonald's wrappers, KFC wrappers, any type of food packaging is the next top of the list. Don't worry, Rachel, we have a disclaimer. So we, <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can name these people. Don't worry about that. We can name yeah, names. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's worth noting that I, I, I'm guessing you are only really picking up plastic that can actually float absolutely and, and cool cool light is the is the other top cool top light. item so What's we call cooler? it cool light it's uh, industrial packaging so it's um you know the stuff that tvs are wrapped in what's it called bubble, bubble wrap no the white yeah. styrofoam 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 oh, yeah, oh, yeah right. styrofoam Get lots of styrofoam because yeah, that, that, bra- that breaks down to yeah it does and, and you that's know what? got big problems right do you know what actually um Kath uh, and I were using Marley and Spoon. Have you heard of that? Like, yeah, so, yeah, I've heard yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get your – it's like you with your vegan delivery yeah. that I saw this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except Marley and Spoon comes in polystyrene. And oh, like really? The amount of pla- – and, and I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this? So I'm like, oh, well, they're making you dispose of it. So wow. what – but then, look, let's, let's look at it this way. Are we wasting food? You know, because, no, we're getting set. You know, like mm. you've got to look at the, the yeah. whole outcome. Yeah. Are we wasting food? No. Are we eating better? Yes. But is it arriving in a shitload of bloody polystyrene that we've ne- we've now got to get rid of? Yeah. Yes. Polystyrene's everywhere, mate, and it's Ugh. especially on motorways, trucks, wind, yeah. you know. On motorways. We get it uh, uh, around the areas that are adjacent to motorways predominantly. Yeah. yeah. And like I mentioned before, like it's only floating plastic that I guess you guys can physically – pick up have you, have you got any science around how much plastic actually floats no because we haven't done any sediment samples yeah. or well, you know any bottom samples well they have in sydney um katie defon yeah dr katie defon from the sydney Daddy, institute of yep. marine science every yeah, half every fascinating every half a cup of sediment out of sydney harbour contains 60 pieces of plastic really yeah and there's some so, statistics. You know, if, if, you, if you want to why, have would, to be why wouldn't it be Different. Yeah, and, well, and let's do some research. Well, there has been some research done. Uh, there's a, a study that I'll include in the show notes from Unomia, which indicates that about only about one percent of plastic in our oceans is actually. Yeah, at the who, surface. who's Unomia? Because I'm quoting this. I better get. So there are. Oh, you there are, through last night. Yeah, there's. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But there are research essentially organisations in, the, they, in the, basically Are they the credible? Oh, very much so. Oh, yeah. Look, yeah, absolutely. Because actually, I mean, it's, it's quite topical at the moment over in um, Amsterdam. They've come up with this bubbling technique. So they're um, sending compressed air down the bottom of the canals and obviously causing the bubbles, which is causing the plastic to rise and put it into the corner. Uh, I've been – remember that's, that's why – Yeah, yeah. yeah it so is. I mean, it's – it's a mop and bucket thing, but at least it's better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. and you, you've probably seen a lot of uh, media attention around Boyne Slat with his uh, ocean yep. cleanup initiative, yeah, and 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 that's obviously only targeting floating mm. plastic. Yeah, but hey, hold on, you said to me last night that they'll come out and said it's within <coughs> the top two or three meters. Yeah, that's they they choose their words very carefully. They in their they have got some very very good marketing behind them. Yeah, to be honest, that it's only they they talk about plastic, but then they use research around microplastics. Microplastics obviously float easier than just sort of. I guess the bigger stuff, the bigger plastics, which is the heavier stuff heavier that you stuff. fill with water. So, or yeah, so microplastics is anything uh, smaller than five millimeters. Uh, macroplastics is anything bigger than five millimeters. And 
but to be honest, the, the, ma- the majority of the plastic load is isn't microplastics. No, it's it's actually the bigger stuff. But yeah, um, okay. But when they talk about statistics around, oh, they're capturing a lot of pollution um, because it's all in the it's all floating. That's 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 that's, no, that's misleading. It's actually microplastics that that's really the floating sort of as high proportion of floating material. Again, one percent of ocean plastic is actually floating at the surface. So if we, if we had ocean cleanups everywhere, cleaning, uh, removing right, we're plastic, only, we're, only we're only looking at one percent. Maybe if we're lucky. Uh, and this is what annoys me about the interceptor as well. Like the interceptor, you might have heard uh, same same organisation, the ocean cleanup led by Boyenslat. They uh, are targeting the thousand most polluted rivers in the world, which they believe, based on their science, have uh, they contribute to eighty percent of the plastic load entering our uh, oceans. And that's like a big GPT that floats in the middle of the river. Like no. It's a well, kind of. It's more like a floating berm. And again, it's only targeting floating plastics. Yeah. So again, and, and they say, oh, yeah, but we're turning the tap off. Bullshit you are. You're only capturing floating pollution. Uh, the vast majority of our of, of plastic loads entering our waterways in, and in our oceans is, is not floating at the surface. It's far, and getting back to this waste management hierarchy, it's the bigger, far more attention needs to be put on reducing pollution at the source which Absolutely. is which is what all this sort of uh, what I guess we're sort of I guess been talking about around litter uh, education communicating the positive messages and getting people to essentially produce less pollution thanks for listening to the ocean protect podcast episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat if you'd like to find out more about us and what we do check us out at oceanprotect.com.au